So uh, for those of you who were here last week, um, I was a bit distracted in my sermon. Um, if, if you've heard me preach much, you recognize that. So, so I had to have people come forward and pray for me after, after the sermon instead of pray with other people. Uh, there's a variety of different things. Obviously, the PowerPoint was not working, but uh, during rehearsal, there was a mouse that was running up and down there. And so as I was preaching, anytime any of you would look that way, I was convinced something was running across the stage. So I, I was completely... Like, every look was like, oh, is, is now at the time? Is it going to happen? We took care of the mouse, but... Um, yeah... Sorry, we took care of the mouse. I won't tell you how we took care of it, so you can just connect the dots however you feel comfortable. So, um, we prayed for it. We did pray for it. All right. Well, we are in our third week on a series titled On Mission, where we are looking at the mission of God and how we engage in that mission, how we, how we join Him in that mission. And so next Sunday, we're going to wrap up this series with our 50th anniversary worship celebration in, in this room here. So 50 years ago next week uh, was the start of meeting in this very room. And so we're going to spend some, some time next week in our 50th year anniversary worship gathering. And, and that's going to be an opportunity for us to reflect some on the past and share some of the history. Some of you that are, are newer don't know that 50-year history. Some of you were here at the beginning of those 50 years, and so you know that history well, um, and everything in between. So we're going to spend some time sharing. There's a picture there that uh, was an artist rendering of the building uh, years ago as, as they uh, picked this location and, and, and set out to, to plant a church in this place here on Montgomery Boulevard out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so we'll talk more about that uh, next week. And then we're going to talk about what the next 50 years could look like for this church. And so uh, you don't want to miss next week. It's going to be a great opportunity for us to celebrate the past and, and look toward the future as well. The first week we spent uh, talking about the story of God and how we fit into that story of God. That we're, we're not in this discipleship thing, this following Jesus thing in isolation of, of what's going on. We have the story of scripture that starts from creation before the beginning of time that continues on and, and we're part of that story. And so the stories that we read in the Old Testament, what we see in Jesus and the New Testament, we are a part of all of that. And so knowing the story of God is so important for us to know what our mission is as disciples and what our mission is as a church. Uh, God had a plan from the very beginning to, to create a community of people that would be a blessing to the world. He wanted a relationship with his creation. And so throughout the story, we see him using ordinary people to do absolutely extraordinary things. He, he, would, he would go in and, and use the most unlikely of characters, everyday people, just like us, to carry out his mission. And so as we go throughout the narrative of Scripture, we have these two themes that start to emerge. We've got this idea of covenants that there is a covenant relationship between us and God, and, and, and the Father initiates that covenant. And, and through that covenant, we gain a new identity of who we are. 
We're new creations because the Father adopts us and pulls us into his family. We join his family. And so our identity comes not with what I do as a disciple. It doesn't come by how often I attend church or how many memory verses I have or, or what things I could check off. My identity does not come from that. My identity comes from the Father. And so I'm obedient to what the Father calls me to because of the identity that I have in him. And then the other theme that shows up is this idea of kingdom, the kingdom of God. And the kingdom has a king who is on the throne, and that king comes and gives us the authority to be ambassadors in his kingdom. That, that we're given the authority of the kingdom of God to work on his behalf to represent him. And with that authority comes incredible power that's given to us through the Holy Spirit that we are called to do big things for the kingdom of God because that king gives us something. He gives us the spirit to work in the world. And so then, at the very center of this entire narrative is the cross, is Jesus, God in human flesh, being sent to rescue and redeem us, to redeem the world, bringing us back into relationship with God. And so the cross and the resurrection stand at the very center of this story of God that we're a part of. And God is on a mission. He's not waiting for you. He's not, he's not uh, waiting for us to engage in that. He is already at work, and he invites us to join in on the work that he's already doing. He's inviting us in to spread the good news. And that's what we tried to spend our time talking about last week is the good news of Jesus. That this message that Jesus is, the, 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 the new life that we have because of him, that is the good news. We call that good news the gospel. And so the gospel is something that is, is simple enough for children to articulate. They can, they can tell you the story, but it's something that we grow deeper and deeper in as we grow as disciples of Jesus. We follow him and gain better understanding of what the gospel means in my life, what it means for me to really be redeemed. That regardless of what I do and who I am, the Father loves me. He loves me no matter what. And letting that sink in and letting that really infiltrate my heart is a lifelong process to really get what it means to be saved. And so understanding the good news, understanding the gospel is an important part of us knowing what our mission is as disciples and what our mission is as a church. 1 Corinthians 15 Paul tells us now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. This is the first importance. This is what Paul passes on. As, as the most important thing for us as followers of Jesus, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, the story of God, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 
And so Paul tells us to, to hold on to this gospel message, to hold on to it that, it, that it saves us, and that is of first importance. More than anything else we do as disciples, more than our programs, more than our church buildings, more than whatever it is that we're doing as followers of Jesus, we have to remember the meaning of being a part of God's story, that Jesus died for our sins that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead. And so as we talk about our mission as a church, that becomes a core of who we are. That's what we believe. That's what motivates us. That's what drives us. That gives us purpose as a church of Christ. It's about Jesus and the good news of him. And so the more that we understand what that really means in our own lives, the more we can understand what that means for us in the life of a church. The more we understand it, the more confident that we become in who Jesus is. The, hum the more humbled we are by our sin and our need for salvation, the more confident we become in his work in us. And so we don't need to fear others in the world. We don't need to fear attacks. We don't need to fear culture. We don't need to fear political elections. We don't need to fear relationships. We don't need to fear neighborhoods. We don't need to fear governments. Because we have all the grace, and we have all the mercy, and we have all the approval and affirmation that we need because of Jesus. And it's that that we build the church on. It's that that we build our purpose as disciples on. And so, in looking over the last two weeks and kind of where we're at now, we know that we are a covenant people. We're a covenant people that, that gain our identity from the Father. We are a kingdom people who are empowered to act by the King. We are a gospel people who are redeemed by Jesus. These are the, these are the descriptors of who we are as the people of God, on the mission of God. And so it's in this context that we find that we're also a called people, compelled to follow Jesus. We are called into something. And so saying that we are a follower of Jesus can mean a lot of different things. It's, it's relatively easy to say, I follow Jesus. It's like a Twitter account. You follow somebody by just clicking on the, the follow button. And so my, my very first sermon here with you was talking about the Twitter follower and what that means and the difference between a Twitter follower and a follower of Jesus. Because a follower of Jesus means so much more. It's, it, it involves so much more. We use the word follow very lightly. We can follow a sports team. We can follow uh, a certain uh, uh, musical artist. We can follow different things, and it can mean anything from marginal involvement with them, I know what the score was to the game, to complete full-fledged idolatry, honestly, where I am so obsessed with that thing that it has become worship. And so what this word follow means can mean a lot of different things. Do I follow Jesus in a very marginal way where I, I, I kind of know some about what he's about? Or do I follow Jesus where I am 
worshiping him. And my life is centered around him. We're called to follow Jesus. But we live in a world that doesn't make following very popular, right? We only follow a sports team as long as they're winning. Some of you are just buttons for punishment and you continue to follow. But, but we follow different things, but it becomes very, if, if the situation changes, if the attitude changes, if the environment changes, then I don't follow anymore. We're in a culture that, that is, is very much making it difficult for us to really follow Jesus. We're in a culture that is skeptical of authority. We're in a culture that, that idealizes independence. We're in a culture that seeks self-sufficiency. We crave control of our lives. And those are not environments that are conducive to putting something else on the throne of your life. And so we are in this uphill battle that says, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Can we really follow Jesus in such an environment? But Jesus calls us into the mission of God by following him. Let's look at John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. We have here this this start of, of Jesus' ministry. And he, he comes in and he's introduced and, and comes onto the scene through his baptism by John the Baptist. And John gives this testimony. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, so John sees Jesus passing by, he says, look, the Lamb of God. Now, that's a pretty weird thing to say, Right? This is a significant statement that John is making that says, look, this is the Lamb of God. This is the one that has been prophesied about. This is the one that we have been waiting for. This is the Lamb of God. And so when, the two, when two of his disciples heard this, these are, these are John's disciples, they say to him, um, the two disciples heard him say this, so they follow Jesus. They stop following John because Jesus is the Lamb of God. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. What an incredible invitation by the Lamb of God to come and see where he dwells. And so they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. And so they, they come and become a part of his life, a part of what he's doing, seeing what he's really about. Andrew, uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And so Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. I'm going to call you Peter. And so the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael 
He goes and finds Nathanael and says, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found him. Ah, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael said. Come and see, said Philip. And so when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. I doubted it, but you are him. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, but you will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so we've got this incredible introduction here to Jesus' ministry where, where someone discovers this is the Lamb of God and they point people to the Lamb of God and they can't help but go find people and draw them in and pull them in and tell them we found him. We really found him. Believe it. We didn't expect it. But believe it. I think about the energy of last night where you're waiting in anticipation for somebody to win a fight that you don't believe can win and everybody is saying that they can't win. And then they win and you want to go tell people and the people who didn't see it are like, yeah, really? I can't believe that. No, really, it happens. And so you see social media light up and friends calling each other and, and, and interacting with each other and saying, hey, it happened. This thing that we did not believe could happen has happened. And how much more is the coming of the Son of God coming here to be with us and saying we found him? Came from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from there, but he's here, and it's really him. They are compelled to do something about that. And so as we look at this story, there's, there's several things that come out as what it means to follow Jesus. Like, what does it really mean to follow him? And the first thing is we have to realize that it's not about me. As a disciple of Jesus, it is not about me. It's not about my personal preferences. It's not about my desires. It's not about my notoriety. It's not about my reputation. It's not about drawing people to me and getting attention to me. It's about something else. It is not about me. John the Baptist had crowds of people around him, had followers of his own, and he didn't try to hold on to those. He said, look, that's what you really want. He's pointing people and deflecting people away from himself into Jesus. Saying, Jesus is the one to follow, not me. I'm just a voice. I'm just a prophet who's pointing people to him. And so as followers of Jesus, it's not about what I want. It's not about who I am. It's not about me. 
It's about Jesus and pointing others to Him. As we think about our mission as individuals that we're being called into, as we think about our mission as a church, it is not about bringing people into this building. It's not adding people to our numbers. It's not about building up our programs. Those are not the things. Those are the tools to the thing. Those are the things that we use to point people to Jesus. And if it's not pointing to people to Jesus, then it's a waste of our time, it's a waste of our resources, and we need to get rid of it. Because the things that we do here are focused not about on my selfish needs and my selfish wants. The things around here are about pointing people to Jesus. And that's where we, where we will invest our time and our treasure and our talents. The second thing that we see is that we recognize uh, Jesus is who he says he is. I said, look, the Lamb of God. Not look, there's Jesus of Nazareth. Look, here is the Messiah. A follower of Jesus knows Jesus. They know him. They have encountered him. They have experienced him. They can clearly identify who he is and what he has come to do. They know his mission and therefore know their own mission. Not everybody got it. Not everybody saw Jesus that day and followed. Not everybody that day said, yes, that is the Lamb of God. I'm going to drop everything and follow. That was a small list of people. Because the skeptics, the academics, the politicians, they didn't believe it. They didn't listen to it. They didn't hear it. They didn't recognize Jesus for who he is. And so throughout chapter 1 of John, we see all of these names of Jesus, a lot of which are referencing prophecies that everybody would have been very familiar with. They say that Jesus, uh, in John 1, he's called the Messiah, he's called the prophet, he's called Jesus, he's called the Lamb of God, he's called the one who baptizes with the Spirit, he's called chosen son of God, he's called the rabbi and teacher, he's the Christ, the anointed one, he's the son of Joseph, he's a Nazarene, he's the son of God, he is the king. King of Israel and the Son of Man. This is who Jesus is. This is the one that we follow. This is the one that we're called to follow. And we are called into his mission. And I'm afraid that too many of us find ourselves in places where we grow up and this becomes too familiar to us that we forget who Jesus really is. We lack a real experience with him. We have been coming for so long, sitting in the pews, singing the songs, going to the Bible studies, and we have forgotten who Jesus is. This is the one that we follow. This is who he is. This is why we exist. And so one thing that I continue to wrestle with and struggle with, and this is something that I, I confessed in my very first sermon up here, was that I, I wrestle with this, this question of whether I love the church and the operation of the church more than I love Jesus. Do I like the things that are happening here and are those the things that drive me and are more important to me than actually who Jesus is. The church is just a means to the mission of God. It is not the mission in and of itself. 
And so when we're more in love with this institution and what it looks like and, and how it forms and how it functions and how it's governed and how it's staffed, when we become more consumed with those things, we lose the object that the institution seeks to glorify. And things get backwards. The church is the body of Christ. It's a physical manifestation of the risen Christ. And if, if people come into our church, are they encountering Jesus? Are they encountering him or are they encountering some sort of institution that doesn't look anything like him? Are we a people who really look like the body of Jesus? Are we really the hands and the feet and the, the, the mouth of Jesus? Is that what they experience when they come into this place? When we invite someone to church, we're not inviting them into hearing a sermon. We're not inviting them to sit in a pew. We're not inviting them to sing a song. When we invite somebody into church, we're inviting them to encounter Jesus. The disciples went and found and said, come and see. Come and see Jesus. Don't come and see our cool church. Don't come and see what's going on here. Don't come and see me. Don't come and see the songs and the pews and all the good, bad, and indifferent. Don't come and see those things. Come and see Jesus. Followers of Jesus recognize Jesus and know Jesus. And as we're called into being on mission the mission has to be about Jesus. A third thing we learn here is we respond and follow him. This is, such this is such an incredible story because there are such faith steps that are taken here that, that John says, look, the Lamb of God, okay, I'm going to follow. Like, how amazing is that? That somebody would hear the testimony of John and then their entire life would be altered to follow that person. There had to be a response. There had to be a response and a decision to follow him. It wasn't simply, oh, that's good information. I'll file that away. Or I'll read another book on it or add to my library or, or try to memorize a few more things about it or attend another class about, about it. No, it's I will respond and I will follow and my life will be different and my life will change because of who Jesus is. And so following Jesus is not a one-time decision. It's not a, a I, I make a confession and I get baptized and, and, and now I follow. It's everything that comes after that that's the following it's an ongoing pursuit. It's, it's spending time with him. It's getting to know him. It's, it's being taught by him and listening to him and, and receiving correction from him and, and understanding who he is and who you need to be in light of who he is. It's not one step. It's step after step after step after step. And so what does it look like for, for a follower who takes steps to follow? What does it look like to, to really be someone who, who is imitating the patterns of Jesus, one who looks at his life and wants to make that their life? And so we look at Jesus and look at the example that he gives us and try to find some way to, to, to model after that. We, we look at him and who he is and take steps. And as, as we look at Jesus, we see that he has, he has such clear focus on what his life is about. 
He has clear focus on his purpose. And he's very intentional about the relationships that he engages in. He's purposeful with the relationships that he has. And there's, there's three different types of relationships that Jesus really nurtures and really invests in. And this is modeled in just this simple triangle that has up, in, and out. That Jesus has an up relationship with his Father. He is, he is nurturing his relationship with God. He, he gets away for prayer. He spends all night with God in prayer. He, he is in relationship with the Father. And remember where our identity comes from. Our identity comes from the Father. And so we can't really hear who we are and gain our identity if we're not spending time with him. And so Jesus engages in this relationship with his Father. He, he is one who spends time in prayer. He attends the synagogue meetings. He's, he attends the festivals that were designed to help people connect with God. Those were the things of his time and culture that, that were ways to connect to God. And so Jesus had this rich relationship with his Father, and so we, we model our relationship in that way, that we need to be nurturing, we need to be developing our relationship with him. How are we investing in our relationship with God as followers of Jesus? But then Jesus focuses his, his relationships in as well. That he has these 12 guys that he's really investing in. He's building relationships with. And, and they, they form a kind of family that is on mission together. He's, he's invested time in them. And so Jesus has this strong in relationship. And, and as followers of Jesus, we have to find relationships that we are intentionally investing in. Some of us need to take on the role of spiritual parents for others and invest in mentoring and, and discipling those younger than us. And we've talked about that before. For, for all but one of you, somebody's younger than you in this room. I don't know who the one is, but there's one of you that has to be at the top of that list, right? So, but for everybody else, there is somebody younger than you. And for all but one person in this room, somebody is older than you. And so what are the relationships that we're intentionally developing? There is someone who, are, who is steps ahead of you in the journey. Go seek them out and form a relationship with them. There are people who are steps behind you in the journey. And it's not a physical age. It's a spiritual age. And they are, they are steps behind you. Go to them and build a relationship with them. Invest in them. Encourage them. So who are those people that you're intentionally building relationships with? This is why things like small groups, even the, the Sunday classes that we have, the different opportunities we have to form relationships with one another that are going to strengthen one another and encourage one another and challenge one another. But then there was this driving component that Jesus had of moving out. He, was, he had the mission of God and, and, and that defined his entire life and his ministry. It's expressed in phrases like seeking and saving the lost, destroying the works of the evil one, doing the will of him who sent me. Jesus' life was defined by mission and purpose, and this is his out dimension. And so as followers of Jesus, we, we look at that model and say, what are we doing to go out? 
What relationships are we forming? What activities are we engaging in? What are the things that we are doing to look beyond those who are inside to those who are outside? Who are the Nathaniels who we need to go to and say, I found him. I found Jesus. Jesus' life was defined by mission and purpose, and so our life needs to be modeled by, di- by mission and purpose. He had these three dimensions of life. He had this way of up and in and out, and we're called into being a part of that as well. And so how are you doing on those dimensions? How are you engaging in a relationship with God up? How are you investing in relationships with one another in What are you doing to step out and go? And that takes us to our fourth lesson about being a follower of Jesus that we see in John chapter 1 here that's reproduce and bring others to him. That we go out and bring others in. So John the Baptist points his disciples to Jesus. Andrew goes to bring his brother. Philip invites Nathaniel. And the people who are following Jesus are bringing others to him. They say, come and see. We'll talk more about that next week as we talk about being, one, being people who make disciples. Disciples making disciples. Going and finding Once someone catches hold of who Jesus is, they want others to know who he is as well. And they want to invite them to come and see this Jesus. And so we have to realize that it's not about us. We have to recognize that Jesus is who he says he is. We have to respond and follow him. We have to reproduce and bring others to him. This is what we see happening in John chapter 1. This is what we should be happening as people on mission for God. We're a called people, called into this mission. We're called in to love God and to love others. And as we think about what it means to be a disciple, uh, being a disciple of Jesus is not simply a one-time decision. It's not something that happens just and momentarily being a disciple is, ju- is not just about doing the right things. It's not about checking off the list of a bunch of stuff. It is a way of being. It is a lifestyle. It is, it is how we are in every dimension of our lives. It's not just on Sunday morning. It's not just in this hour. It's not just in this room. It's everywhere. It's a part of every bit of our lives. Following the way of Jesus requires us to completely shift our focus, to shift our priorities, to shift our wants and our desires and the things that are so selfish in us. It calls us to sacrifice those things because we are a called people, called into a different way of being. There are different standards for us, different expectations for us because we're called to be a part of the mission of God. And so as we think about what it means to be a disciple, we get to these two fundamental questions that we try to ask most every week, questions about what it means to be a disciple because a disciple is one who is learning to be like Jesus. And the only way we can learn is to ask the question, God, what are you saying to me? 
God, what do you want for me? What is it in this moment? Because what is right for me in this moment right now is different than what's right for you in this moment right now because we're all at different points in the journey. But none of us are exempt from asking the question, what do you want for me right now? God, what are you saying to me? What do you want for me? What conversation do I need to have? What thing do I need to give up? What activity do I need to adjust? What time constraints do I need to adjust? God, what are you doing to me right now? What are you calling me to? And then the second discipleship question is the question of obedience. Will you have the courage and the discipline to do what he's calling you to do? Because that's where the change really happens. If God is calling you to do something, what are you going to do about it? Because it's so easy to sit in the pews and listen to a sermon and be convicted of something and walk out of the room unchanged because you didn't do anything different. You didn't do what God was calling you to do. Let's be standing together. God is calling us into his mission, which is this incredible adventure. It's not a burden. It's not, it's not something that's supposed to be heavy. He says, my, my burden is light. Like what he is calling us into, if we will really engage into that, is the most life-giving experience we will ever have. That's what he's calling us into. He is calling us into life. But for us to receive that life, we have to die to self first. And it's in dying to self that we will experience life like we have never experienced it before. And so God, what are you saying to me? What are we going to do about it? Spend this time in prayer now in either asking God, what are you saying to me? Or if you already know exactly what he's saying to you because he's been kicking you in the tail for quite some time about it, pray about, what do I need to do about it? And then this is a time that we will have the shepherds down front. You can pray with one another. You can pray with the shepherds. You can pray with me. And share with somebody in community that, that this is what God is calling you to do. Help one another. Hold one another accountable to do the things that God is calling you to do. Let's pray together. God, we give this time to you now. We, we spend some time in, in silent prayer. We spend some time in group prayer. We spend time with you and with others. God, show us what it is that you want us to do. Who are we? What are you calling us into? As a, as a people called into your mission, God, what are you saying to me? God, show that to us this morning. And show us the next steps for making that a reality. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray together.